Hello, everybody. I'm Michael Rock. And I'm Brendan Collins, and welcome, Ball Stars one and all, to another episode of the Balls Over the Top podcast. Yeah, we have a bunch of exciting sports news to get into this week, so we're just going to jump right into things, and we're going to kick off this week, as we do most weeks, with some world football headlines. And it starts with Manchester City, dominant streak across all competitions, really, mm-hmm. coming to an end with a 2-0 victory by Manchester United in the Derby. Incredible performance. They go up early with a first-minute goal, and they never lose that lead. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's got to be really excited with how his team is playing, but I don't think it's going to make a big difference. It seems like this is still City's title to lose, and unless there's a monumental collapse, United's just playing for second place. Yeah, I mean, they still have a a 10-point lead right now, so things where they are, it seems like it's mostly in Man City's favor. But Man U's a second in the table right now, and that's a good spot to be in, especially if Man City starts dropping points on any kind of regular basis. One team that can't help but keep just dropping points is Liverpool, the reigning champs. Yep, they are held scoreless this past week in a 1-0 victory by Fulham. Newly promoted side, Scott Parker's boys managed to squeak out a victory against the defending champs who really just can't seem to get their act together. And it's on both sides of the ball at this point. You know, we give them excuses at the beginning of the season for the defense. Obviously, with the Virgil van Dyke injury, with the Joe Gomez injury, even Joel Matip being in and out of the lineup. You want to give them the benefit of the doubt if they're giving up a goal. Giving up one goal to Fulham should not be the end of the world for this Liverpool side. No. It's being held scoreless that is raising the eyebrows because Sadio Mane, Mohamed Salah, Bobby Firmino, they're all healthy. They're all playing, Mm -hmm. and the goals are just not there. They even added Thiago Alcantara to this midfield, and there's still not creativity there. They're a mess. It seems like they just can't get that possession. They're lacking the finesse. They're lacking the skills. You wonder where it's going to come from. Obviously, these players have it in them, but with the way they're playing right now, it's just, there have been, it's not like this is a sudden thing. The bad form has been going on for months now. We've been waiting for them to turn it around, and they just haven't. Well, turning it a little bit around right now has been Jose Mourinho and those Tottenham Hotspurs because they get another four-goal game out against Crystal Palace. It just seems like a few weeks ago we were talking about them not being able to get on the score sheet, the lack of creativity since Potichino left. Well, it looks like night and day. This team was firing on all cylinders this past week. I get it. Crystal Palace has been a little bit of a punching bag this season. However, it's good to see Sonny. It's good to see Harry Kane in the form that we know they're capable of producing. But I tell you, there's a game that I want to talk about, really two games I want to talk about, because Chelsea is off the heels of a couple of really impressive performances over the last five days. They end up with the victory over Liverpool with that beautiful Mason Mount goal on Thursday. And then they follow it up with a brilliant 2-0 victory today over Everton. This side under Thomas Tuchel is now, what, unbeaten in 10 matches? Mm -hmm. Really impressive. It's like night and day. I mean, these defenders that 
were question marks before, like Andreas Christensen, Kurt Zuma, Rudiger, are looking like world-class center backs. And that's not to mention Azpilicueta playing at the skill level we know he's capable of. Obviously, Thiago Silva, when healthy and in the lineup, is world-class center back there. The other thing has been the outside play. That's, I mean, that's really been my most noticeable difference in this Chelsea side. Having Caleb Hudson-Odoi switching between playing a winger up top or a, a wing back up and down the sidelines. Having Marcus Alonso just getting this resurgence where he wasn't even sniffing the f- pitch under Frank Lampard. And suddenly he's been featured in almost every single match under Tuchel and heavily featured. Yeah, and then Reese James has just shown steady progress on that right-hand side. Yeah, it's funny because the big money signing, Ben Chilwell, is right now it seems almost on the outside looking in of this rotation, but that's the beauty of what Tuchel's got going on there. They rotate. Even we saw Kai Havertz getting his second start today under Tuchel is able to produce really, for all intents and purposes, the opening goal. I know it was ruled an own goal, but go watch the highlights. You'll see. It might have been on target anyway. Yeah, Kai Havertz walloped that ball, and without the lick he put on it, they had no chance of going in. So Yeah, and he also draws the penalty for the second goal. Exactly. So a big, big, big performance out of him out of his second start. Pulisic really looking good off of the bench. And suddenly, we're going to have, I believe they have a game against, it's either Leeds or Wolves to round out this week, and then Atletico Madrid on Tuesday. So a pretty pretty tough stretch of games here with, oh, yeah. with Everton today, with Liverpool on Thursday, and then the Champions League match with another late week matchup. But I tell you, they've been really impressive, and then once you get out of that, it's a whole bunch of easy matchups. Bottom of the table, lower end of the Premier League teams that they're going to be playing. So I could see them squeaking their way up further into the top four right now within a game of third and second place. Yeah. Well, and just talking about teams in good form, Chelsea obviously with their unbeaten streak, but they're joined in the past five with Man United, Wolves, and Fulham. And I got to say, of those four, I think I'm most impressed with Fulham. Yeah, Scott Parker has really turned this team around. They looked almost bound to be sent back down after the first two months of the season. Just could not get their act together. Could not find their way out of the relegation zone. But I tell you, putting together five matches in a row without a defeat will get you there, especially with some victories in there. And zero goals conceded in that stretch. It's huge. Defense will keep you up out of that relegation zone. tell you... Schalke should have a meeting with them to take some notes. Oh yeah, somebody needs to needs to uh, get the uh, get the notes. Well, let's swing things over to Germany. It's your favorite league to talk about. Yeah, and it it was a pretty interesting match day twenty four in the Bundesliga, and it kicked off with a battle of the bottom teams, Schalke versus Mainz, and guess what? Nothing happened. <laughs> they managed to disappoint. Neither team capitalizes on its opportunity to play to, the other to pick on team. someone their own size. Yes. Exactly. It ends nil nil. Ninety minutes came and went, 
and nothing happened. So we can move on to the rest of the weekend where things did get a little bit interesting, and it's Red Bull Leipzig going on the road to Freiburg and getting the 3-0 victory. Yeah, they got to be happy with this result. Freiburg's a pretty solid team this year. And this was a hard-fought victory. It didn't come easily. I watched it, this match, from start to finish. And it was one of those ones where, although it was hard-fought, although there were chances on both sides, and 3-0 is almost a little unfair to Freiburg, Leipzig did execute their game plan exactly how they wanted to. And while it was back and forth, it never really seemed like it was out of reach for Leipzig. It never seemed like they were out of control of this match. No, it was theirs to put away. Exactly, and they did it. Solid matchup for them, but one that Freiburg shouldn't feel too deflated over. Again, that 3-0 scoreline looks maybe a lot worse than it was. Even though they never looked like the team that was going to capture three points, it looked like a level playing field. No, and they had some good shots on goal. It's uh, But that uh, Red Bull's defense has been very good, and it, it shows again. Yes, elsewhere we saw Hoffenheim squeak out the 2-1 to victory over Wolfsburg. Yeah, ending that win streak. Exactly. Wolfsburg coming back down to earth after a really impressive run of form. And Hoffenheim continues to keep themselves competitive, continue to float around that upper mid-table. We'll see if they're able to make a push towards the end of the season in what has been a really competitive league. Yeah, I mean, it's been constantly shuffling and... Really, the the highlight of the weekend, I mean, it was on ABC. It was on just ch- Channel 6. It was Normal a, TV. You can get it over the air. It was Der Klassiker, and it was Bayern facing off against Dortmund, and Dortmund got the first two. Yes, they did. But it was not enough because Bayern scored four goals. And, man, this game was a little tough to watch for me personally just because I was feeling really frustrated with some of the officiating. I felt like that penalty call was pretty soft, especially considering he got the ball first, and it seems like there was a little bit of kicking of the bottom of the foot going on, especially since it went to VAR and wasn't called on the field and had to be overturned, but I can digress on that one. But the one I won't digress on is the fact that Leon Goreska fouled Emery John and then went back and scored a goal, and they were just like, yeah, this is totally fine. We don't need to go back and take a look at this. Yeah, the officiating on this one was suspect. So definitely you want better out of it, especially at a game getting so much attention. Mm-hmm. Not the way you'd like to see the officials' handprints all over it. Exactly. It, it felt very frustrating to watch. What's even more frustrating is the fact that Jaden Sancho missed this one with injury. Probably won't be back in time against Sevilla in the Champs League. And we also see Erling Holland go down with an injury with some kind of cut on his Achilles tendon and probably some swelling to go along with that. Although he's a tough lad, I think he'll carry on and probably face off in the Champs League. Thanks, Jeff. And then we also saw Jerome Boateng twist his knee. So Bayern might be without their, I mean, what, decades at this point, long tenured center back? It feels feels like he's been there forever. He's there with the drapes and the curtains. He's just a part of the scenery at this point. He's part of the foundation. Yeah, definitely going to be something to keep an eye on as these Champions League matchups come underway with the first batch of second-leg games kicking off tomorrow. But we're going to slide over to Italy where we had match day 26. And I tell you, those teams at the top of the table, they continue 
to dominate. Yeah. Juventus notches the three to one victory over Lazio. This is a battle of the big big teams here. Juventus needing to do whatever they can at this point to try and keep up with the two Milan sides. But, but both of them were in action as well. Yeah. And we see AC Milan get a 2-0 victory against Hellas Verona, a team that's been giving lots of big clubs fits. Yeah, it's been an impressive run of form for them, but not quite as impressive as Inter Milan's run. Inter netting the 1-0 victory over Atalanta. This after, that was just this afternoon. After getting the 2-1 victory over Parma on Thursday, like Chelsea, they had the Thursday-Monday double this week, so two games so close together. Gotta say, Antonio Conte's got that side roaring right now, and they seem hungry. I saw, I thought it was going to be AC Milan, but I tell you, they've opened up their lead now to six points Oof. over their crosstown rivals. Six points over them and a astonishing ten points over Juventus in third place. I mean, it is going to be a absolute battle for the rest of the season. Not to mention, they are dominating when it comes to goal differential at 63 goals for 25 goals against a positive 38 goal differential the next best in the league is Juventus at 30 and then Atalanta at 27 so really impressive I mean once you get past Atalanta at 27 there's Napoli 26 Milan 20 and then the next best is I think 13 or something. Oh my goodness. So the fact that Inter Milan's all the way up there at plus 38 is just remarkable. Yeah, and I mean, it just shows that they're executing on both sides of the ball. Exactly. But we can make our way over to the last of the big four, and that is La Liga over in Spain. And really, it has come down to, as it tends to come down to, a three-horse race there in Spain. We have the two Madrid sides and Barcelona. And guess what? Two of those three faced off this past weekend. Yeah. We had the Madrid Derby. Atletico and Real facing off in a highly anticipated clash. And it was a little bit of a snooze fest. Ended in a one-to-one draw. Both sides are going to come out of it disappointed and feeling like they left points on the table. Absolutely. And that comes with Barcelona still keeping their hat in the ring, getting a 2-0 victory against C.A. Asasuna in their matchup. And this came at a very important time for one person in particular. That would be their president, Laporta, who gets his second term. Yeah, pretty interesting. He gets goes for the old Grover Cleveland method where... He serves unsuccessive terms as Barcelona's president. Has the gap in between where apparently just a whole bunch of criminal stuff happens. So maybe it'll be good that he's back in charge. Start to get those ducks back in a row. And I tell you, Barcelona pulls to three points away from Atletico Madrid. It is now down to three points where before it seemed like Atletico's lead was insurmountable especially with the way that Barcelona was playing and they couldn't they didn't they couldn't get out of their own way. Yeah, they're dropping against anybody. Well, it's now only 3 points separating the two. 59 points up top, 56 points in second, 54 
points in third with Real Madrid. Atletico, though, does have an extra game in hand. So yeah, with their could, one postponement. They, exactly. So they could make up those points elsewhere. Well, in other news around Europe, Weston McKinney's transfer is completed to Juve. They, they finally actually finished the paperwork. It's done. He's going to stay there. I guess he's done well in his time there. Yeah, I think they're pretty happy with this decision. But it shows you Italian paperwork tends to take a little while to process. So happy to see him there. Happy to see another American setting up their roots on one of the big European clubs. Elsewhere, we saw Romanian fourth official Sebastian... I'm not going to try and pronounce that last name. It's got too many... Is that it? Sure. Alrighty. I was going to say too many consonants in a row. He's been suspended until the end of the season after his involvement in the skirmish that went on in the Istanbul Bekashir assistant coach Pierre Weibo. This was we we talked about this weeks ago. Yeah, this was, was in the, the Champions in, League in their matchup against there PSG. Was, now, after the fact, it seemed like maybe there was more of a misunderstanding with a language barrier, potentially. Might not have been as racially charged as initially thought. But still, it was obviously a black mark on the game. Cre- created a ton of headlines, ton of controversy. So the official is sidelined for the rest of the year. Well, coming off the sidelines is Norwich in the championship. Right now, they're 10 points clear, and they look like promotion favorites off the backs of... Our boy Timo Puki down there. Absolutely. In Norwich, still got them playing. He did not leave when they got relegated, stuck with the club. And I tell you, they've looked good all season. My boys Redding, my boys Swansea, two of my other favorite clubs, are also really competitive this season. Bournemouth having a great season. Birmingham, I believe it is, or Preston. I think I forget which one. Yeah. I always mix those two up. But the B, oh, Brentford, that's yeah, what it oh, is. Oh, the Brentford Bs. Yeah, yeah, the Brentford Bs, that's what it is. Sorry, those counties, they just they all run together. Oh, yeah. Brentford's also had a great season. So it's going to be an exciting, thrilling conclusion of the championship. But Norwich... Up there with that 10-point lead, hoping to continue to pad it to secure, get that guaranteed spot up to the Premier League. And elsewhere, we see young phenom Daryl Dyke. Yes, the Orlando City or Orlando City FC striker on loan to Birmingham. Continues his scoring spree, continues to make the MLS look maybe even a little bit better than it is. Who knows? We'll see. But it is growing. We talk about that almost every week. Exciting to see them succeed. Exciting to see that talent thrive elsewhere. And speaking of the MLS, there are some updates there as well. Yeah, and really the first headline that comes out is the one that hits right here at home. And it's Union stalwart right back. Been with the team since its inception. Ray Gaddis retires after nine, nine years. Yeah, an incredible career for Ray Gaddis, a staple of the club. It's going to be weird having Union games without him on the team. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, he's been an absolute integral part in that defense for so long, and I mean, was never really left off the sheet very often. He played most games in that right back spot and was part of very good defenses. And in his last season, he won the Supporter Shield. 
Exactly. So finally putting a trophy in the trophy case for this club gets to be there, gets to accomplish that from inception. An academy full, player. Exactly. Full, full story arc. But we have some other, where one story ends, another begins. Yes. And that's with the head coach of Montreal's Club de Foot. Club de Foot. It's Wilfred Nancy gets named the head coach. Yes, uh, the Montreal side, obviously, with the departure, the rather sudden departure of Thierry Henry, names Wilfred Nancy as the successor there. Obviously, big shoes to fill, even if it's not in the success that he had with the, this club, but replacing a legend of the sport in Thierry Henry comes with its own set of pressures. And they're going to be doing that with the clear waters and white sand of the Florida beaches. Because yes, we got a couple of Floridians. Exactly. Our, our neighbors from up north, up there in hockey country, are going to have to come down here, as we've seen in all of the other major sports, with the strict COVID protocols going on, the limitations on border crossing between the U.S. and Canada still in effect. A lot of our Canadian professional sports teams have been forced to take up residence in various towns or cities here in the States. It started last baseball season when we saw Toronto. Didn't they take up home in Buffalo? Yeah. And it's just changed everywhere since then. Obviously, in the NHL and NBA, they were in bubbles to finish out their season, so they didn't have to deal with it. Well, now it's happening. So... Montreal's Club de Foot announced that they would share an arena with Inter-Miami down there. Brand new facilities, obviously, for the new club in Inter-Miami. So they're going to look to share that. Hopefully there are not too many difficulties with the scheduling. And FC Toronto is still up in the air on where they're going to be playing. Yeah, they. I mean, they confirmed Florida, but it's going to be either at Inter-Miami also or with Orlando. Yeah, so we'll keep an eye on that. I would kind of hope for Orlando just to keep some parity. I imagine that pitch would get torn up if there would be some weeks that there would be three matches being played there. Could be a little rough on it. But elsewhere, we see some news with another big name as far as U.S. soccer is concerned. Yeah. Uh, Another Wea joins the likes of professional soccer, and this is Patrick Wea, current current soccer player Tim Wea's cousin, joins... Minnesota on a homegrown deal. Yeah, so it'll be exciting to see that. Obviously, the patriarch of that group, George Weah, having a legendary career. It'll be interesting to see what the family tree offers as far as this next generation. But we're going to make our way over to the hardwood. We had a really big weekend this weekend in the NBA. It is All-Star Weekend being held in Atlanta. Maybe despite better judgment? Yeah, I think that's safe to say. But despite that, it seemed like relatively the event was a resounding success. They brushed with total disaster, but we'll get to that in just a moment. The three big headlines coming out of it. Greek Freak, obviously, with an MVP performance going 16 for 16. Pretty remarkable. Oh, yeah. And doing it inside the paint, doing it from the three-point line, it was an impressive all-around performance. And to go 16 for 16 shooting, I don't think I can even do that in the mini arcade basketball games, 
But no, uh, unless I have Ray Allen in NBA 2K, I'm not getting numbers anywhere near that. Not even close. Speaking of three-point shooters, we see Steph win the three-point contest with the golden ball at the buzzer. Yeah, he had literally half a second, or I think, you know, time was expiring, nails the shot, gets the dub. While there is no real doubt as to who the best three-point shooter in the NBA is, it was still exciting to see this come down to the wire. And, you know, Steph's not getting any younger, so who knows how many years he's going to keep doing this, how many years he'll be an all-star, how many years he'll be participating in the festivities and at this point i think my resentment toward that golden state dynasty has kind of died off since they've kind of peaked and now i'm just kind of appreciating steph while we got him yeah i'm i'm with you on that and we we were speaking about famous family legacies before and here comes up again dantas sabonis winning the skills comp yeah sabo Obviously, the European influence here in the NBA, a big victory, kind of one of the smaller markets, smaller name guys, plays on the Pacers, well, puts himself on the map there with the NBA skills competition. We also saw Anthony Simmons win the dunk contest with a really impressive dunk, almost gave the rim a kiss on the way up, kind of hung in the air for a little while. Yeah. You know... I feel like after we saw what was it, Dwight Howard jumped the car or whatever that yeah, I mean it, we uh, we we saw Vince Carter, Andre Iguodala did like an alley oop off the backside of the backboard. Like we've seen so many insane goals. Yeah, it's like one of those dunks. things where at this point I almost am unfazed by the dunk contest, but at the same time it's always it's, fun. To it's watch. yeah, but it, it's fun and it's a little flex of creativity too for these guys. Yeah, but we so we talked about this before. We kind of hinted at it, but obviously we'll dig into it a little bit more here. One of the biggest headlines that dominated this past All-Star weekend was the fact that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons were both suddenly ruled out of the contest due to contact tracing as the team barber, I believe it's the team barber, but they both came in contact with the same barber who then tested positive a day later. Both players go into lockdown. So far, there are no reports of either one of them testing positive, but this is just an example of how catastrophic this event could have been for the league, could have been for all of the big-time players. Oh, with 24, yeah, 24 of the NBA's best players all possibly getting exposed and then all having seven days of not being able to play. Exactly. They would just even just entering the COVID protocols would be such a hampering on the league trying to come back. Some some teams would be absolutely decimated. I mean, you think about a team like the Sixers, they even still might be dealing with that kind of risk. If Simmons and Embiid are both held out on the return, could kill all that momentum that they built leading into the All Star break, and it just could have been worse exponentially. Yeah had they been allowed to play in the league, not caught this. But we did see one all-star player on the move today, and that is Blake Griffin. Obviously not a current all-star, but former all-star, former all-pro, number one overall pick. After a tumultuous couple of seasons with the Detroit Pistons, was bought out and makes his way to the New York Nets. Yep, joining a couple more all-stars. Yeah, and I'll tell you, this could go one of two ways. We've seen it, too. Mm -hmm. These aging NBA stars where they float around a little bit, not really doing much, kind of seeming like they're running out of gas in the tank, so to speak. And then they get on a team that they're excited about being on. 
and it's like the switch is flipped. I mean, Dwight Howard's perfect example. How many years in a row was Dwight Howard just in no man's land after his, you know, kind of fall from grace? I mean, there was multiple stints with the Lakers. He went all over the place, went to the Hawks for a bit, went mm-hmm. to... The Rockets, I think, for a yeah. moment. Yeah, and, th- and then comes to the Lakers last year with LeBron and looks like a totally different player. You look at Carmelo Anthony. He was out of the league for a little bit. Yeah, now he's in Portland. And now he's in Portland putting up numbers night in, night out again. Again, not like old Carmelo of old, but I don't think anybody's expecting Blake Griffin to just step right into all-star form. Yeah, I, well, I mean, and even further back, we remember, you know, Shaq on the Celtics got a, got an extra little boost at the end of his career. It, it happens repeatedly, and it, it could happen here, but I think, realistically, it, he's a fading star. He's a center power forward that doesn't get the same elevation that he used to, so he doesn't have the same inside dominance that he has, and his transition to an outside shooter has been anything but smooth and easy. He'll work well to an extent being able to space the floor for guys like James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and adding a little bit more power doesn't hurt, but I'm not expecting this to be like a sealing the fate deal where this makes them the automatic NBA champs. Yeah, I'm more skeptical to see if Blake Griffin can still be a productive player in the NBA because he certainly didn't look like it on a Pistons team that would have given him all of the touches and all of the opportunities he would have needed. We've seen mediocre to bad players go to bad teams and be able to put up numbers because they're getting the touches and the minutes. Blake Griffin was underperforming on a team where he was supposed to be one of the focal points. So it's either there is no more room in the NBA for Blake Griffin's high volume two point shots that aren't very high percentage anymore, or he can adapt his game his talent is still there and he can use it in a different way and find success. But I think there's either going to be a productive or non-productive Blake Griffin. I don't know if there's a star or not star. I mean, I think he has got a pretty, pretty low ceiling, but it'll add a bit of a threat and who knows, maybe he's still capable of going off any given night. And at least he tends to be defensively responsible, so he won't be a total net negative player. So we're going to be approaching the trade deadline pretty soon in the NBA, obviously on our way out of the All-Star break, and there's a handful of really big-name players that could be on the move. A couple of guys who are being dangled as trade bait pieces. Obviously, the giant fish are the really big names like Bradley Beal are no longer on the board after the season he's having and the resurgence that that Washington team is putting together. Mm-hmm. But there could be a couple more of those mid-tier guys who could be added to any number of contenders to really make a difference. Is there anybody that you're particularly excited about possibly being on the move and maybe a team that you want to see them go to? I think a change of scenery is definitely needed for Lonzo Ball, especially with the emergence of his brother LaMelo. Kind of completely overshadowing overshadowing anything that Lonzo's done. I think Lonzo's going to need a change of scenery, and I think a a move is near imminent. The question is, where does he go? Because point guards are very tough to move middle of the season, feels like, especially somebody who needs to have the ball in their hands to be effective. I don't know if there is a absolutely welcoming destination for him. Well, I could even see him going to a team like the Sixers or maybe another team... Not again, not as a starting five ball handler, but as the an upgrade to the second unit point guard. Maybe to the Bucks. 
Exactly. The Bucks could be an option there. I mean, right now, keep in mind, Lonzo has upped his three-point shooting to a staggering 40%. That's an upgrade to most teams in the league. That's a three-point specialist type percentage, even though he's still got that wonky, goofy-ass looking shot. The percentage is there. Mm -hmm. And so... The fact that he has always had the passing ability, we've never questioned that. No. He's always been an incredible passer. It's if the scoring and the shooting could catch up. The shooting, it seems like, is catching up. The inside scoring's not quite there, but I don't think he has that opportunity on a team like New Orleans with Zion Williamson, with Brandon Ingram, with the emergence of like Nikhil Alexander Walker at that backup point guard position. You question if he has that opportunity to make those drives, get that room inside when it's going to be dominated by, I mean, what, don't they also have Adams? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I so, mean, that's, uh, that's a ton of mass ton of traffic inside. Yeah. And when that's the biggest facet he needs to improve, that's why even again, going to a team like the Sixers or even like the Bucks, where so much of that offense revolves around, you know, th- think about how much penetrating Ben Simmons does to the basket Think about Giannis driving through the defense. Those lanes are open on those teams. I mean, even though Joel Embiid's a dominant center and they do play it down low sometimes, half the time they're playing it to Joel Embiid at the top of the key yeah. and he's doing his magic. So you look at it, there's a lot of teams that could use him. I'm really excited to see where Andre Drummond goes. Yeah. And I think we could see him go to the Lakers. Because Anthony Davis's health is still a question mark. They said two weeks, but I tell you, that looks a lot like what was going on with Kevin Durant until they rushed him back for the finals and then the Achilles snapped. You really got to be careful yeah. when these guys are as tall as they are, which AD's seven feet tall, seven one, And he's fast. And he's fast. He's got that explosive first step that could go away forever. We saw it with Boogie Cousins. Durant's recovered, but Durant's also a freak of nature. Who knows? Yeah. E- even though <laughs> Anthony Davis is also a freak of nature, you never know with that kind of thing. So if I'm the Lakers, as much as it would hurt my fantasy team, too, saying this, I would take every precaution necessary for Anthony Davis, bring in Andre Drummond, who gives you that defensive, that boards domination. And realistically, Andre Drummond is underrated as a passing big man and, a and can get the great job inside done. score. Exactly. And so with LeBron, with Dennis Schroeder, with the other tools they have in place, Kyle Kuzma and all the boys there. Alex Caruso, even off the bench. Exactly, in in Los Angeles. I think Drummond, if you can get him for cheap on a trade, or if he ends up on the buyout market from the Cavaliers, would be a phenomenal addition to that Lakers team. Definitely. And then, oh no, if Anthony Davis comes back, oh no, now you have Andre Drummond and Anthony Davis. You can throw Anthony Davis in at the four, play Drummond at the five. Or you can play Anthony at the five and Drummond at the four. I mean, it's not like he hasn't done it before. Exactly. So that's who I'm most excited to see on the move. Obviously, Lakers might not be the destination, and there could be. You could add him to the Bucks. He'd be an upgrade over, I don't even know who their center is at because I don't think it's Lopez anymore. Is it still? It might be the other Lopez. I think it's the other Lopez. I think I have it's no Brooks idea. Lopez. I think Robin Lopez is on Washington. Mm-hmm. You could add him to pretty much any team, and Drummond's an upgraded center, unless it's for, what, Jokic or Embiid. So I'm he's the player I'm most excited to see. But, you know, 
Larry Nance Jr. could also be exciting. There's a handful of other guys worth keeping an eye on, but we'll see. That's all the exciting of the all the excitement of the trade deadline. But why don't we make our way over to the NHL? And I gotta say, these Flyers, man, I'm losing sleep over them. Yeah, and it's it's frustrating because it's it's been game to game. Uh, they came back looking pretty decent, especially after they had a very bad outbreak issue where they were losing out on their top lines, and now they have their top lines back, and they've been struggling. They've been skidding these past three games. That series against Pittsburgh really was tough. I was expecting us to play a little bit better. I know they're a cross-state rival. They're arguably our biggest rivals, but we've been kind of steamrolling everybody who's not the Boston Bruins this season, so it was a little bit grounding to see us struggle against a team that, I mean, yeah, they're also wearing yellow and black, but a team that we've actually seemed to have the number of of late. And then it struggles just continued against the Washington Capitals. And so it's nice to see, I don't want to say it's nice to see them struggle, but I'm looking forward to see how this team responds to adversity because Alan Vigneault has been really great at coaching these boys up and, and this team, it seems ever since he's taken over has mm-hmm. been nothing but on the up and up. And so seeing them get knocked down and how they respond to that will be fascinating. But obviously in a perfect world, we just see him steamrolling, see him in first place and living up to the hype that we've been hyping him up to be. Yeah. And I think we'll see a little bit of that form coming back, especially once Elaine Vigneault, doesn't have to keep constantly shuffling his lines up and can kind of get a little bit more of a regular rotation in there. Speaking of getting a regular rotation, the Toronto Maple Leafs have just been the absolute best team in the league, and right now their points percentage is at 78.3%. Yeah, it's a staggeringly high percentage. I mean, when you consider that they're almost like five percentage points higher than the second place team, which is the Tampa Bay Lightning, and then almost 10 percentage points higher than the third team, which is the Vegas Golden Knights. It just shows you that they are really dominating that Canadian division. But I tell you, with the way these divisions are broken up, I almost, I don't want to say the regular season doesn't mean anything, but it's going to be anybody's matchup once it's the playoffs. We have no idea how that Maple Leafs team would fare against any team in the what would be Metropolitan Division, let alone well, any team in the United West. States. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, I'm I'm forgetting these. I know they're all like banks and whatnot these divisions, but it's definitely gonna be a fascinating postseason because these we're seeing these teams just punch punch each other around on round robin type or little three game series here and there. And we're not really getting a gauge of how they'd fare against more diverse competition. So it's going to be something to keep an eye on. But definitely props need to be given where credit is due. This Toronto Maple Leafs team is putting together a heck of a showing this regular season so far. Well, someone who won't be putting on a show for at least seven games is Tom Wilson because he uh, did a dirtbag move again. Yeah, a really dirty hit on Brandon Carlo of the Bruins hits him headfirst into the boards. The body positioning wasn't what was bothering me. Yes, he had his back turned to the player. He was facing the boards. It was a little bit in that questionable area, but really it was the fact that all of the target of the, like, like the base point of contact 
was directly at the head. Yeah. It seemed like he intentionally threw the shoulder, the elbow, everything he had at the head and neck of the, in this case, defenseless player. And that's where it really irked me. If you hit a guy clean, fair and square in the body, and it just so happens that his, he kind of falls in the way, you know the way yeah. I'm talking, like the crumbling way. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate, and that's really a bummer. But you, you, it's not a dirty play. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a full speed hockey play. Whereas this looked like this he was gunning dirty. for somebody. Yeah, matter of fact, if anything, you go. Oh, thank goodness he wasn't in a worse position. Yeah, because it could have been way worse. And if it, uh, if he was in a worse position, it would definitely be deserving of more than seven games. As this one might also be arguably worth more than seven games. But we have a little bit of a funny story here, a little bit more lighthearted. The Las Vegas Golden Knights had a really peculiar situation happen this past week. As the hotel that they were staying in, they arrived, were getting ready for their game, everything seemed normal, until all of a sudden they were told they had to evacuate because the hotel filed for bankruptcy and was closing immediately, ceasing operations what a wacky story. The team ends up relocating. Everything ends up being fine, but obviously not the type of shuffle you want to be doing when you want to be focusing on a game. Yeah, especially on the road. You know, not a headache you want to have going into a matchup. Someone who will be absent from a couple matchups coming up is Matt Duchesne as he gets put on IR. Yeah, looking like he will miss at the very least three to five weeks. Could be longer. He's a player that's I'm very fond of, used to build all my franchises around him in the old NHL video games, so no matter where he goes, I tend to root for him. So yeah, Matt Duchesne on the Nashville Predators, we hope he has a swift recovery. Hope he's not sidelined too long, because really, on his day, could be one of the most exciting goal scorers in the league. Oh, absolutely. And that brings us to a more somber note. The most exciting player in hockey history, Wayne Gretzky, his father passed away this past week. Very touching tribute Wayne gave about his father. Nice eulogy of him. Yeah. And a great way to honor him there. So we give our best wishes to the Gretzky family. Yeah. Uh, obviously R- losses. Rest in peace to Walter Gretzky. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, credited as, you know, Wayne Gretzky's first coach. And that's <laughs> quite an honorary title to yeah, have. a hell of a job. Yeah. Exactly. So um, best wishes to the Gretzky family. So we have a few oddball things to talk about, and I'm going to start things off with a breaking news headline. This came in mid-recording. We didn't prep for this at all. But Les Miles and Kansas mutually agreed to part ways after he was accused of sexually harassing multiple female students while head coach at LSU. But still, these harassment allegations are serious enough that they follow him to his new job at Kansas, and this is most likely the end of the coaching line for, I don't want to call him an all-time great given everything going out right now, but, you know, one of the most notable coaches. Yeah, one of the most impressive coaches of of the probably past 15 years or so. Exactly. So, obviously, his legacy may be tarnished, or it could be seen in a different light. I mean, the full scope of what's going to happen with this remains to be seen. I imagine there are investigations going on. But yeah, a a big moment there. So we may have more on this as things unfold. But yeah, Les Miles, one of the biggest names in coaching, in sports, 
parting ways with Kansas following these sexual harassment allegations. But we will move on to your regularly scheduled programming here in the rest of our Oddball segment, as we saw the Oddball himself, Bryson DeChambeau, lift another trophy this past weekend at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. This after, on the Sunday of the final round, getting texts of support from Tiger Woods that DeChambeau said were incredibly inspiring and helped motivate him to capture this title. And really, over the last year, he's been one of the hottest players in the sport. Yeah, he's been impressive. I mean, obviously, he has that ability to just lay out just monster drives can smack the ball like a maniac. Yeah, he took a couple of lines that I've never seen where, you know, I I watched him hit one shot where it's like a hooking hole, and he just shot it straight over the out-of-bounds, just totally bypassing like 85% of the course, landing like 25 feet from the green. It was unbelievable. The ball was out-of-bounds for 90% of its journey. It was inbounds for the first 5%, goes out-of-bounds, Hooks out of bounds for the entire time, and the last 5% dips back in bounds 99% of the way to the hole. It was insane. The guy has got some of the most unorthodox methods that we've ever seen in the sport. And, and plenty outside the sport as well. Exactly. And he's a, I think he's great for the game. You know, you need characters in a sport that is as mundane, as quiet, as... Posh. Exactly. As... Golf, having these characters really helps lighten it up. I mean, that's why people love Phil. People love Tiger. Bryson's probably going to be one of those guys. Because there are other good golfers. Yeah, like Rory's a good golfer. Exactly. And he's a a nice person. Exactly. I mean, there's a bunch of them. But if it's anything, I'm even trying to think of names right now, and I can't watch Schultz. There's the guy from Pennsylvania who was pretty good. You know what I mean? It's just like they almost become forgettable. Yeah. And it's like when you get a character, when you get a guy who establishes himself, it's like, wow. You know, like, yeah, Brooks Kepka's not bad. There's a bunch of guys who, who any given week can win, and it's not anything to say about their abilities. Yeah, no. But it's... they're not necessarily tune in to watch. And Bryson DeChambeau's getting to that point where it's almost, oh, DeChambeau's going to be playing? Let me, let me flip that on. Yeah. It might get you to not just put it on, but also then keep watching. Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth. Gotcha. But we're going to move off of the greens and into the octagon as we had a big UFC this past weekend, UFC 259, where we saw Jan Blashevich earn the upset over Israel Adesanya in the main event. And really, it was never even close. Jan was dominant from start to finish of that fight. And really, I don't think Adesanya was ready for that weight jump. Going from 185 to what, 215? Mm hmm. He looked undersized. He shows up to the press conference with a pizza. He looked like he was struggling to get up to 215, where Jan looked like he came in at like 230 and was scraping to get down to that 215. I mean, he looked like he was 50 pounds heavier, mm-hmm. and it, you could tell with the strikes. Yeah, I mean, it, Israel didn't have the devastation that he was used to having. Exactly. Those, those punches that are knockout punches at 185 were looking like light jabs when they were connecting with Jan. It was night and day. He was putting everything he had into those hits, and it was not doing even a fraction of the damage that it does at the lower weight class. And so I think it shows he really wasn't didn't have room for it. I mean, yes, he was 20-0. and 0. He was dominant at his weight level. And but, it, did, it went five rounds. 
Yeah, but but it is a little ignorant to think that you can step up to a weight class 30 pounds heavier and take on people who are at the pinnacle of that weight class. He the size was obvious. Yeah. And it came through in the in the wrestling and the grappling grappling as well. I mean, he was he's used to being able to to flip and get on people's backs and that wasn't happening cuz he was not he was not able to get on top. Well, speaking of somebody who's been on top and doesn't show any signs of going anywhere, Amanda Nunez, the lioness, yeah. gets another dominant victory this past weekend against Anderson. Gets a surprising submission. I mean, Nunez known for her knockout capabilities. Well, I mean, she was basically knocked out on her feet anyway. Yeah, the submission was almost a practicality at this it was, point. It was a generous way of not causing any more brain damage yeah and really cementing her spot i mean right now i'd say she's the greatest female we've ever seen in the ufc she's probably the most dominant in her class for sure and that resume just continues to get more and more impressive really it seems like they're giving her fights because she wants them but there's nobody who it even seems is remotely close to being it doesn't seem like there's contenders it's just feed for the slaughter so it'll be worth keeping an eye on whoever they throw at her next i imagine she's going to Chew up and spit out. Yeah. Save money bets. But we're going to move over to something we've brought up the last several episodes, and that's fan control football. League we were talking about, Marshawn Lynch has gotten involved. We saw Johnny Football Mm -hmm. getting involved. Signing with the Zappers. Well, we see another ex-NFL All-Star, ex-NFL Pro Bowler, receiving yardage leader, get in on the action. Josh Gordon, the... Perennial bad boy of the offseason, the 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 troubled but genius talent. I was going to say disgraced. The disgraced yeah, NFL. I mean, Not disgraced by the fans, but almost disgraced by the league. Yeah. The fact that they've decided they're done with him. When there are people who've literally killed people that they don't decide they're done with for smoking too much of the reefer, they have decided... That they are done with Josh Gordon, seeming like he is indefinitely banned, and that's not going anywhere. Well, he doesn't doesn't matter because he catches a game-winning hail mary this past week in his fan control football debut. Yeah, also with the Zappers sharing sharing the the spotlight with the Johnny Football. Yeah, pretty crazy, unbelievable. He scored two touchdowns in the game. I mean, obviously shows he can still do it, but the problem is. There's just no, there's just no consistency, and I don't know if there is an avenue at this point for him to ever get back to the NFL. But yeah. what an athlete! I'm, dare I say, looking forward to seeing him continue to put on a show in the FCFL. And lastly, we saw a Philadelphia legend get their honor that was long overdue today on the 50th anniversary of the fight of the century. Philadelphia erected a statue to honor its own, the real boxer from the city of brotherly love. Joe Frazier getting his bronze statue, commemorating the 1971 fight, becoming the first fighter to ever beat Muhammad Ali. And really, one of the greatest sporting events of all time. Mm -hmm. Worth the watch. Oh yeah, holds up. Oh, unbelievably. And even just looking at the stars who were there at the time, I mean, half the Rat Pack was there, the star, the the movie stars who oh, yeah. are legendary. I mean, it was just uh, it was it, it's like the perfect P 
period piece too if you want to just peek back into the world of sports from the late 60s early 70s and the hype around Muhammad Ali and mm-hmm. everything going on there and so it's nice to see Joe Frazier finally getting the respect he deserves you know we're a city that loves to go nuts and blow our load over a fictional boxer who doesn't even win the fight and yet here we had he wins it in the next movies yeah you know he wins some but here we had really a, a hometown boy who goes in against all odds beats the greatest of all time in the biggest fight in the world at Madison Square Garden the the place yeah the the ultimate stage again this respect is long overdue this honor is long overdue so it's good to see Joe Frazier being immortalized as he overwhelmingly deserves absolutely we're going to make our way though to the diamond to the mound as spring training is still in full swing in this second week of March Grapefruit League action has been pretty nice. I think overall the quality of baseball this preseason has been pretty entertaining. Yeah, I got to say, though, baseball, the thing it normally has going for it Mm -hmm. for me is the fact that it's going on when basketball and hockey are not happening. So while we're in the mix of basketball season full swing, hockey season chugging along, Baseball just seems out of place. It's, it's, like, just, really? it's on earlier are... in the day, though, so it's been not too bad. This is true. But we are still weeks away from the first pitch of the 2021 season, as that is slated for April 1st. And there is a lot that has to be decided between now and then. Teams got to figure out their rosters. Still a handful of free agents holding out and trying to get their things situated. And we have a whole bunch of players who made big moves this offseason and are looking to kind of get their bearings with their new teams. And that starts with my boy, one of my favorite players, Hugh Darvish, making his debut this past week with the San Diego Padres. Obviously dominant last season, almost won the Cy Young for the Cubs, Mm -hmm. and then goes to this Padres team in that bolstering to try and compete with the Dodgers. I'm excited to see what he does there as one of the new really dangerous pieces of that rotation. But it's not all sunshine and rainbows. No. Philadelphia Phillies, despite not having any really exciting debuts to talk about, as they didn't really add much in the offseason, have a couple of notable omissions from their lineup at the moment. Yeah. uh, Well, right now we're without both JT Romuto and uh, Adam Hazley in the outfield, and those are two big pieces that we were looking to have. Yeah, those are two guys who you expect to be playing, if not every day, damn near every day. And guys we definitely want to get settled in, maybe Hazley more so than Real Muto. You know, Hazley coming off of a great first season with the Phillies, looks to build on that. Real Muto, more of your chiseled veteran there, should be able to come in in normal form, but... You Who still kind of want to get him used to calling the games, though, and get exactly, into that with a new bullpen, with everything going on. We also see a couple of your rotation guys like Sir Anthony Dominguez and others lagging with some lingering injuries there, so we hope to see them get healthy. There is one question mark about the Phillies team, though, that's raising quite a few eyebrows and is a little bit of a controversial lightning rod of a thing going on. And honestly, kind of annoying as a fan, we'd think. You'd think we might be able to work our way around this, but it looks like that Odubel Herrera is going to get a fair shake at making this Phillies roster. Yeah, this two years after there was a 
pretty damning evidence that came out depicting some domestic violence going on between him and his 18-year-old girlfriend at the time. I believe there was video or, or, or allegations of him like choking her and yelling at her at one point. The team said they were done with him forever. They stripped his image and name of everything at the park, even though at the time he was really one of the bright spots, one of the things to maybe build around on that team. I mean, him and Michael Franco were the two guys that we were really excited about, at least potentially being everyday guys after the eventual rebuild came to fruition. And so this is just a bit of a 180 from that. Obviously, there's a lot of elements to this. He's under a long contract, and we know how baseball contracts work. He did serve his suspension. He, believe it or not, him and the girlfriend had reconciled. They are still actually together, and now they do a whole bunch of seminars and workshops and classes on domestic violence and domestic violence awareness and helping be advocates for victims in domestic and abusive relationships. So he's doing all the right things, so to speak. Just like Michael Vick did the whole PETA animal tour after he got out of prison. You know, mm -hmm. he's he's checking the boxes, so to speak. And I guess as a manager, as a general manager, as a managing partner in John Middleton, as a, you know, with, with Matt Klintak in charge or whomever, I think actually they, they got rid of Matt Klintak. Yeah, Klintak. they got rid of Klintak. But you wonder where this is going to go. You wonder how... This is going to pan out because you're putting a bit of a tough situation there. You're torn between this guy is paying his dues, this guy is doing all the right things, this guy's trying to rehabilitate, or is he just talking the talk? Is he just walking the walk so he can get his paycheck, so he can get back on the pay on the field? We saw Araldis Chapman come back after his domestic issues and won a World Series. So there's some room it seems like for the league mm -hmm. to welcome people back from this type of thing mm -hmm. but it is a pretty big 180 from what the Phillies had initially said they were going to do and listen I'm not here I don't know how I feel about it and I'm not here to tell anybody how they should feel about a guy who's done uh, assaulted a woman like this being allowed back on the team but it's a, it is a tough subject. It is hard to navigate. Yeah. We're not here to just try and untangle that. I'm just I'm just upset that they they chose to come out with the hardline stance at the beginning and that they've 180 on it because I I there's plenty of reasons to have shaken faith in this Phillies organization, especially considering how the past couple off seasons have gone and how even last season went. So seeing them flip-flop on this, it seems like it might be a little bit of a recipe for disaster. But as far as the player and the individual themselves, you have to try and give credit in, in trying to form a path in which you find reconciliation. Yeah, it does look bad, though. You're right. It, it looks bad for the team to have come out and said, we're done with him, no discussion, he's not a Philly anymore. And I get a new manager's come in, I get a new GM has come in, and maybe they've put some pressure there. But the other side of this, and I know this might sound bad, and I could even take a little flack for this, but like, he doesn't seem like he's a good enough player for the headache. Raldis Chapman's one of the best closers in baseball. There, you look even in the NFL, there are certain guys that, even Josh Gordon, he was worth the 10th, 11th, 12th chance at coming back because we've seen what he can do when he's on the field. There are certain guys, there's a reason 
Antonio Brown just won a Super Bowl. Yeah. If he were any other player, he would have never had a job again. Mm-hmm. But because he's Antonio Brown, okay, well, okay, maybe we can. Well, we try again find because he's really good at catching a ball. So Odubel Herrera, maybe to me, if he were an everyday, I mean, granted, I do think he actually did make the All Star team for the Phillies. That could be wrong. Baseball also has that weird every team has to have an All Star mm-hmm. type mentality, but. It's just, I think it brings up more questions than answers and opens them up for more criticism than, at least right now, the the player presents to be worth. We're going to move over to the NFL. Yes. Where we had a pretty big week of news. Yeah, relative to being an offseason, there are no games happening. It's been just an absolute flooding of news coming off the Twitter feed. Off, uh, off what Schefter's tweeting. And really, one of the big headlines for me has been the fact that the Eagles have been prioritizing Jalen Hurts at quarterback. It seems like they've found their guy. Yeah. Jeffrey Lurie coming out today saying he wants the team to prioritize Jalen Hurts, try and build around him, as opposed to taking the whole, well, we don't know whose team it's going to be. We're going to leave that up to a quarterback competition. The owner putting his foot down, which it seems like he's been feeling more and more inclined to do as of late, saying he wants them to, at least for this season, go into it with their full-fledged support behind Jalen Hurts. I don't necessarily disagree with him on this. I think that's a good game plan. Might as well see what we have in this player, especially the way he turned around the offense at the end of last season. But I don't know if I like to see my owner being this heavily involved. I don't love Al Davis well, rest the late Al Davis. I didn't. I didn't love his tactics. I didn't love Jerry Jones' tactics. I think you have a GM and an owner to make these kinds of decisions. Sorry, a GM and a head coach to make these kinds of decisions. Mm-hmm. The owner is just someone you cut to on the TV feed. Exactly. Show him in the box doing cringy high fives. Yeah, that's what that's what they're there for. Next little piece of quarterback news, though, should be raising a couple eyebrows, and it's the Bears getting fairly serious at taking a run at Russell Wilson. Yeah, this is interesting to me, and it really just screams to me desperation from the Chicago Bears here. This seems like a team that doesn't know what they want. It seems like they were in on the Matt Stafford deal, then they were in on the Carson Wentz thing, then they were in on... Russell Wilson. Now, then they're going to try and be in on Deshaun Watson. Then it's it's like th- this team. What what is the just what they're just throwing at the wall and seeing what sticks. Like they're, they're just a quarterback away. They're not though. Is the thing. Yeah. And, and so they don't have the weapons there. And in my mind, again, if you're if you're a quarterback away, I get Sean McVay pulling the trigger for Matt Stafford. That was a playoff team that even with a backup quarterback in and a three-fingered Jared Goff mm-hmm. was able to make a, a decent run in the playoffs. So I get you want to go get Matt Stafford. This is a Chicago team that, that's nowhere near that. And to give up whatever they would have to give up for Russell Wilson or for Deshaun Watson would really cripple their franchise, especially when you consider they don't necessarily want either of these guys. They just want a guy. Mm-hmm. If they came into this offseason from week 15 when they knew they weren't making the playoffs anymore and said, we want Deshaun Watson, we're going to do whatever we can to make that happen, or let's see if Seattle's going to get rid of Russell Wilson, let's make a move for that, Mm -hmm. then maybe I would feel a little bit more supportive. Yeah. But it just seems like, I said, they're just trying to throw everything at the wall and see what sticks, and they're not that close to having the answer. And gosh, gosh, 
the amount of draft capital that they would need to give up to land either one of these quarterbacks doesn't seem worth it to me. Like you're better off trading up in the draft because you're giving up honestly the same or less to move up in the draft to get, even if it's the fourth or fifth best quarterback available. Lamar Jackson was the fifth quarterback taken in the first round. There's all sorts of instances. Dak Prescott, late round pick. Russell Russell Wilson. Wilson, late round pick. Tom Brady, late round pick. There's plenty of guys. That sneaks through. And, uh, and not even late-round pick. You know, Jalen Hurts was a second-round pick. The the Bears have a first and a second. They could easily get a quarterback with either of those picks or package those two together and maybe one more first to move up into maybe the top ten or something, where going for Russell Wilson, going for Deshaun Watson, it's multiple, multiple, multiple first-rounders. It's probably a talented piece. It's exactly a $40 million contract. And this team is not that close. No. But I'll tell you who did finally get their money, their $40 million contract. And that's Dak Prescott. Signs a four-year, $160 million contract today. Higher than that $37 million franchise tag would have been. He gets the no-move clause. He gets the no-tag clause in that contract. So you got to wonder, who's the bigger winner here? Is it Dallas or is it Dak? Or are both sides coming out of this happy? I got to say, I think it's Dak Prescott, especially because he was a late-round pick. He's not coming with that first-round pick quarterback money where you're getting the millions of dollars. You're still in that 100000 range. And he's played like a maybe not quite top five, but in the top 12-type quarterback where he's done better than most. He kind of reminds me of like a, an Alex Smith in his prime. I think is like my really my player comparison where like has arm talent, has enough mobility to extend, isn't quite elite in either one, but with weapons around him can have regular success. I agree with your assessment there. I think he's got a little bit more of two things than Alex Smith, and that's a little bit more mobility and a little bit more of an arm. Not necessarily in the accuracy department, but definitely in, in the, the throw yeah. power department. Alex Smith, remember, for the especially the San Francisco years of his career, was barely ever putting the ball more than 30 yards in the air. It really wasn't until he was with Big Red in Kansas City that he started corking out that long ball a little bit more. And so Dak, on the other hand, we see them with Cooper, with C.D. Lamb. With Miles Gallup, Michael, Michael Gallup. Gallup, there it is, Un- uncorking that long ball more often than not, and he has the benefit of also having Zeke Elliott, who he can just keep on feeding the ball to. So and I Travis get why Frederick Dallas did a, it, but it's a lot of money still that they they have doled out to Zeke Cooper, this offensive line, and now Dak Prescott. And that last season, the, the tail of the tape was no defense. Yeah, so we'll see how it goes. This doesn't go anywhere near addressing that gaping issue. We did see a couple of other things happening, a couple of other players on the move or some, you know, transactional-related things. Isaiah Wilson, the first-round pick from 2020 for the Tennessee Titans, the offensive tackle tackle who was expected to really take over that right tackle spot full-time, never really pans out with the team after only playing one game last year and tweeting some cryptic messages about the team earlier this offseason. He is sent over to Miami for the small price of swapping seventh-round draft picks. I tell you, though, I mentioned this to you during our prep session. 
while it's a bummer to see a first round pick not pan out for any franchise, I got to give credit where credit's due. And they just knew to cut the bait. Yeah. They knew that this was not a good match and they got rid of the player doing whatever they had to. They get his money off the books. And just a, it's just a, a deal. I mean, yeah, like, even it, if you're only moving up a couple of spots in the seventh it's, round, it's better than cutting them. It's better than cutting them. You don't have to deal with any sort of dead money or anything like that. Yeah. And, you move on and you turn a unproductive member of that 55-man roster into a contributing member of that 55-man roster. You're able to replace him with somebody who does buy in, who does fit the scheme, who is putting in, showing the effort and the signs to want to improve, where apparently this Wilson character was not doing any of the above. And so who knows, maybe Miami will be able to flip him around kind of a change of scenery can be all the difference for some of these players. However, like I said, credit where credit's due, cutting the dead weight where a lot of teams, <coughs> Eagles, don't ever tend to do that. <coughs> JJ or Nick Whiteside. Wow, this weird cough. Yeah, well, better get that checked out. Well, elsewhere we saw the Jets tag their safety Marcus May today, who set to turn 28. He becomes the first Jets player to earn the franchise tag since Muhammad Wilkerson back in 2016. And really, this is solid for a guy who burst onto the scene last year, obviously after Jamal Adams' departure, comes in, plays out of his mind. Now he's walking away with a guaranteed $10.5 million contract. If he plays well this season, probably be setting himself up for a great long-term deal. He's only 28. I mean, today... It was his birthday, actually. He turned 28 today. Happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday to him. Nice $10.5 million check in his pocket. And hopefully for him, you know, he can be another one of the only bright spots on that Jets team. And yeah, it seems to always in pop in. Next, next year. Yeah, it seems to always pop up in their secondary. seems like they always get a, a productive... It's because their defensive line and linebackers can't fill a single hole or make a nice play, so... Constantly, runners are breaking to the secondary, so those safeties just gobble off tackles. Well, elsewhere, we see Jason Kelsey announcing that he's going to make another return to the Eagles for one more year. Yeah, the all-pro center going to run it back. And, you know, quietly, he's been putting together what could be considered a Hall of Fame resume. Now three All-Pro nods, I believe four Pro Bowls, Correct. Super Bowl championship under his belt. He looks to continue it, and really, why would he stop? He's still at the top of his game, got yet another Pro Bowl and All-Pro nod this past season. And arguably with the Pouncey Twins retiring, it, he's probably one of the top centers in the league, if not the top center. Exactly. So the Eagles thrilled to bring him back on a one-year deal. It seems like he's taken it one year at a time at this point and happy this was not the season he decided to hang it up. We also saw another big-name player on the move. Veteran defensive end Carlos Dunlap was cut by the Seattle Seahawks today. This after being acquired mid-season from the Cincinnati Bengals a elite pass rusher, normally good for double-digit sacks year in and year out. He was in the finer, final year of his contract, set to earn $15 million with $0 guaranteed. So he was a prime candidate for a Cap release. Casualty. Yeah, so he'll look to land somewhere, though, obviously. Even though the sack number's down this past year, 
he's one of those guys who you know can provide solid pass rush, especially if he's on a rotation, getting to come in on third downs where he can just kind of pin the ears back and go after the quarterback, can still definitely add value to a team. And just constantly disruptive. Exactly. I mean, he's one of those guys just really notable at getting the hands up and batting down balls at the line of scrimmage. So I cannot imagine he will be on the street for long. Carlos Dunlap, one of your premier outside threats now available in free agency. And we will round things out here with a note of on International Women's Day. Mm-hmm. The NFL hired its first full-time black female official. Maya Shaka was hired to join the officiating ranks for the 2021 season upcoming. Obviously, a monumental point. I mean, it's just now in the past five years even that we've seen women being featured in the officiating Mm -hmm. at all it seems like and so them adding their first african-american official obviously a big big moment and a thing for the league to hang its hat on yeah another milestone of of progress and seeing a more inclusive more full game so we'll look forward to seeing her on the field, on the sidelines, I don't know exactly what position they're going to I know they rotate to and things like that. So looking forward to seeing her contributions to the 2021 season. And with that, listeners, I think it's that unfortunate time. It's time for us to take our ball and go home. Sit the showers. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Balls Over the Top podcast. As always, you can find us on our socials at at B-O-T-T podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. And this podcast is available everywhere podcasts are available. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. If you want to find us on a podcasting site, we're there. Yeah, and if you could, if it's available, depending on your platform, smash that like or subscribe or even just throw the link up. Share it with some friends. We really appreciate it, guys. We do. Thanks. Thanks.